In this episode, I mash up three of my most popular episodes together, talking about perseverance, leadership, and always being a continuous learner. Let's go. of the Millennial Momentum Podcast. This is your host, Tom Alamo. You can find more info about the show at millennialmomentum.net. You can find me on social at Tommy Tahoe, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, everywhere. Very active. Hit me up. If it's your first time to the show, let me break it down for you. So it's about millennial personal development and trying to get to the next level of life, whether that's financially uh, emotionally, spiritually, relationship, your job, your your health, whatever it may be. And I think you need three things to get there. Right? You need a relentless work ethic, a positive growth mindset attitude, and a little momentum, which is forward motion with energy, right? So it's that little spark. It's that little push that gets you moving, that gets the, the ball rolling. I'm hoping that this show, the blogs I write, the videos I do, can help be that spark of momentum for you. I hope it can be that for me. Um, as we're all trying to get better, right? I'm not an expert, but I'm on the path and I'm sharing everything that I can um, both for myself and and the great people that I'm able to meet through this. So um, thank you very much for listening. I don't make a dime off of this. Do this all outside of my full-time job as a sales manager. So we're talking, you know, 5 to 7 a.m. We're talking 8 to 10 p.m. We're talking weekends. So all you need to do if you find any value here, just head to iTunes, do a quick subscribe, a quick review. It takes two minutes. means a ton to me. helps me reach more people, add more value to you know, the world. So thank you for that. Let's get into today's episode. Um, shaking it up a little bit. So no, no traditional uh, new interview today. We've got two things that I want to do. One, we've got um, a mashup of a few interviews that I've had um, in the recent past with some absolutely killer guests. Um, We got David Cancel, the CEO from Drift. We've got JT McCormick, the CEO of Scribe Media. And we got Mario Armstrong, who is the host of the Never Settle show. And I took clips from my interviews with them because I think they all have the same type of mindset and philosophy around being relentless and being continuous learners and pushing through adversity. And so you'll hear each of them talk about that a little bit and how they were able to overcome certain things. And I just think it's it's a great, you know, there's some great takeaways from that. But before that, I want to spend the next few minutes just talking about an article that I came across and some life lessons um, that are just so good. Um, and I, I saw this article come across from uh, Byron Wien, Wien, W-I-E-N. Sorry if I butchered your name, Byron. Uh, From Blackstone Investment, famous investor. He just turned 80. And he broke down in his first 80 years of life the the top 20 things that he's learned. And I just want to share them. I just think the majority, maybe all of them, but there's a few that really stick out to me, but they're all just so good. So I'm just going to go through them. Number one, you know, concentrate on finding a big idea that will make an impact on the people you want to influence. The 10 Surprises, which I started doing in 1986, has been a defining product. People all over the world are aware of it and identify me with it. What they seem to like about it is I put myself at risk by going on record with these events, which I believe are probable and hold myself accountable at year-end. If you want to be successful and live a long, stimulating life, keep yourself at risk intellectually all the time. Number two, network intensely. Luck plays a big role in life, and there's no better way to increase your luck than by knowing as many people as possible. Nurture your network by sending articles, books, emails to people to show you're thinking of them. Write op-eds and thought pieces for major publications. Organize discussion groups to bring your thoughtful friends together. Uh, Hello, that's one of the reasons why I'm doing this podcast, so I can meet great people, learn from them, stay in touch with them, keep following up, keep trying to add value. Number three, when you meet someone new, treat that person as a friend. Assume he or she is a winner and will become a positive force in your life. Most people wait for others to prove their value. Give them the benefit of the doubt from the start. Occasionally, you'll be disappointed, but your network will broaden rapidly if you follow this path. Number four, read all the time. 
Don't just do it because you're curious about something. Read actively. Have a point of view before you start a book or article and see if what you think is confirmed or refuted by the author. If you do that, you will read faster and comprehend more. Five, get enough sleep. Seven hours are due to your 60, eight from 60 to 70, nine thereafter, which might include a nap. Six, evolve. Try to think of your life in phases so you can avoid a burnout. For the people that have been through a burnout, you know what he's talking about. Do the numbers crunching in the early phase of your career. Try developing concepts later on. Stay at risk throughout the process. Number seven, travel extensively. Try to get everywhere before you wear out. Attempt to meet local, interesting people where you travel and keep in contact with them throughout your life. See them when you return to a place. Number eight, when meeting someone new, try to find out what formative experience occurred in their lives before they were 17. It's my belief that some people, some important event in everyone's youth has an influence on everything that occurs afterwards. Number nine, on, phila- on philanthropy, my approach is to try to relieve pain rather than spread joy. Music, theater, and art museums have many affluent supporters, give the best parties, and can add social luster in a community. They don't need you. Social service, hospitals, and educational institutions can make the world a better place and help the disadvantaged make their way toward the American dream. 20, young, uh, sorry, 10, younger people are naturally insecure and tend to overplay their accomplishments. Most people don't become comfortable with who they are until they're in their 40s. By the time that they can underplay their achievements and become a nicer, more likable person, try to get to that point as soon as you can. Take the Number 11, take the time to give those who work for you a pat on the back when they do good work. Most people are so focused on the next challenge that they fail to thank the people who support them. It is important to do this. It motivates and inspires people and encourages them to perform at a higher level. Number 12, when someone extends a kindness to you, write them a handwritten note, not an email. Handwritten notes make an impact and are not quickly forgotten. 13, at the beginning of every year, think of ways you can do your job better than you have ever done it before. Write them down and look at what you have set out for yourself when the year is over. 14, the hard way is always the right way. Never take shortcuts except when driving home from the Hamptons. Shortcuts can be construed as sloppiness, a career killer. 15, don't try to be better than your competitors. Try to be different. There's always going to be someone smarter than you, but there may not be someone who's more imaginative. 16, when seeking a career as you come out of school or making a job change, always take the job that looks like it will be the most enjoyable. If it pays the most, you're lucky. If it doesn't, take it anyway. I took a severe pay cut to take each of the two best jobs I've ever had, as they both turned out to be exceptionally rewarding financially. 17. There's a perfect job out there for everyone. Most people never find it. Keep looking. The goal of life is to be a happy person, and the right job is essential to that. 18. When your children are grown or if you have no children, always find someone younger to mentor. It is very satisfying to help someone steer through life's obstacles, and you'll be surprised at how much you will learn in the process. Every year, 19, every year try doing something you have never done before that is totally out of your comfort zone. It could be running a marathon, attending a conference that interests you on an offbeat subject um, that will be populated by very different people from your usual circle, or traveling to an obscure destination alone. This will add to the essential process of self-discovery. 20. Never retire. If you work forever, you can live forever. I know there's an abundance of biological evidence against this theory, but I'm going with it anyway. So I just want to share that. Not original thoughts from me, but from Byron. Um, some great, great feedback there. I suggest you take a look. I can, I can throw the article here in the show notes. So without further ado, I want to get into these different conversations that I have. Um, first, we're going to hear from the CEO of Drift, David Cancel. Let's go. All right, David Cancel, welcome to TR Talk, man. Thanks for joining the show. Uh, thanks for being uh, letting me be on the show. I'm excited to talk to your audience today, and uh, I'm psyched just to get into it. Cool, man. So, um, so let's let's dive right on into this thing. Um, we were just talking a second ago how. Um, you know, Ryan and I have been you know, following a lot of what you and what Drift are doing, um, both on your podcast, which we can get into in a, in a minute, 
and through some of your articles. But you know, one thing that's really um, I think is outstanding is how you promote being. Uh, what you would call a learning machine. I'd mm-hmm. love for you to kind of riff on that for a little bit on on what you think sure. that means. Sure thing. It's my obsession. So, you know, one thing that I figured out, I've been doing this a long time now, 20-something years in my career. And one thing that I figured out in retrospect, right, because it's uh, most of the stuff we have to figure out by looking backwards, is that the one thing that really motivated me and got me excited was being constantly challenged and constantly learning and every time that I felt like making a change in my career was due to uh, the learning stopping. And, and then I've tested that over hundreds, if not thousands of people at this point. And I always ask them, you know, when I'm interviewing people, are they still learning where they are? And inevitably, if they're talking to me and they're looking for a new op, the answer is always no. And it's, that's a common thing. Like you need to be challenging to be continually learning. And I think the other thing looking backwards now is that one thing that's amazing as I get older is that every year I think I've got something figured out and every year I look back and think like, holy, I didn't know anything. When am I going to know something? <laughs> right? Like, when am I yeah. finally going to learn something? And I think you've heard that. Everyone's heard that over the years. You've heard, you know, older people say like the more that you learn, the more that you know that you don't know anything at all. And I'm living yeah. proof of that. And so uh, I've, you know, I'm obsessed with learning from virtual mentors and mentors in life and uh, because of their, you know, we learn by failure, but as Warren Buffett says, it's better to learn from someone else's failure than your own failure. And, uh, and so I'm trying to live that. I'm trying to learn from others. And the thing that's the, the most important thing for everyone who works at my company called Drift is um, that they are what we call curious learning machines because uh, we, we feel like it's not the smartest or the hardest working that usually wins. It's the person that continues to learn and progress and get better every day. And, uh, and that's what we bet on. That's awesome. And so you're, I mean, you're clearly a really busy guy. I mean, you're the CEO of, you know, a really hot company drift and, and we can get into you guys a little bit, but like, how do you tactically fit in learning into your yeah. day? Mm-hmm. Um, I've architected. That's a great question. Because it's a hard one, right? It always it, there's always something that competes with your time. I'd say first, uh, if you were really be honest with yourself and audit your day, you would find out that all of us, including myself, waste most of our days, right? Whether it's on Instagram or Twitter or YouTube or you know watching the ball game with your friends or whatever it is, you'll notice that you most of the day is actually wasted, even though all of us would say, man, I don't have any time. I can't focus. I don't have time to do something. So first I'd say, start with an audit and audit yourself every day. And I, and I need to continually do that myself every day, right? Because we slip. And, um, and so I audit my day and then I create, I, I begin the day by being intentional and I focus the one part of the day that I can always control, which is the morning right? If I wake up early enough and, uh, and I wake up usually at 5, 5.30, my co-founder now wakes up at 4.30 a.m. after I sent him to spend time with Jocko Wilnick, who wrote Extreme Ownership. And um, yeah, so I sent him down there so for the boot camp, which is a whole nother story. For the muster? Yeah, for the muster. He was down at the muster. And, uh, and so he now wakes up since then. It's been probably nine months now and he wakes up every day now at 4.30 a.m. And he is amazed by how much he's able to do. So I control the morning. I read and dedicate that time to learning through reading. And, uh, and then any free time that I have, you know, like instead of watching TV shows or spending time on stuff like that, I learn from virtual mentors, whether they're Warren Buffett, Bezos, uh, Charlie Munger, you know, et cetera, et cetera. There's, there's so many uh, by listening to reading or listening to YouTube videos of talks that they've given and just constantly architect my way, my life around learning. And then when it comes to work, we've architected at Drift uh, the entire culture around learning. And so we build all of our processes internally about getting stuff in the hands of customers as quickly as possible, whether that's on the sales side, marketing side, product side, every single uh, part of the company, because we want to get feedback from the customer as soon as possible so that we can begin the learning. No learning happens in a meeting. No learning happens through consensus, right? No learning happens sitting by yourself just pondering. Learning happens by applying knowledge and taking action and then measuring the results of that action and then adapting. Yeah. 
And it's so, I think it's so important. It's tough when you're getting in the, you know, in the the daily routine and you're going from internal meeting to internal meeting and then you clear your inbox and then you realize four hours have passed and you haven't done anything productive. So I'm curious, like when you're at your best, you're a learning machine, you're, you're, you know, whatever it is, watching videos, reading books, like what is your process for absorbing that? Um, and then being able to put that to use? Like, are you taking notes and then revisiting it in a journal of some sort? Or like, how do you keep track of everything? Yeah, good question. Uh, So yeah, it's hard to, I'd say one, when it comes to like meetings and having your day kind of ruined by meetings and process and dealing with emails, I take the extreme approach and I say, I don't, I don't answer any emails. I don't even look at my email, right? Like my email is, I can't tell you how many thousands of emails are in my email inbox that I refuse to even read, right? Because uh, I figured out that I was wasting too much of my time being reactive to other people's um, questions or agenda or whatever they had to do, and I wasn't really being productive, right? And being productive was focused on the, the doing and the building and the making. It wasn't on reacting to emails. So I don't answer to e- uh, emails. I know that's crazy for, for a lot of people. And then when it comes to meetings, I try not to have meetings. I end up having... A, a lot of meetings because I'm interviewing people, especially at Drift. Uh, but I, I actually spend a lot of time deflecting meetings. And we have, um, I try to get everyone in the company to do the same. Like if you're in a meeting and you don't have anything to say in this meeting, get up and leave. Like we have that, <laughs> I've printed that out and I've taped that to every table in every conference room in the in our office, right? Like leave, like do not sit here, do not have a meeting just for the sake of meeting take action, right? And we believe in uh, what, you know, Apple and Steve Jobs are called the DRI principle, which is the directly responsible individual principle, where we don't want consensus. We want someone, it doesn't matter what their title is, to be named responsible for whatever the decision is and for them to make a decision right or wrong and just move on with it and not get lost in it. But when it comes to your question about uh, how do I make sure to apply my learning, right? Uh, for me, it comes in a couple of ways. One is uh, it's repetition. That's why I often have to I reread books uh, different times in, in life because most of what you're reading in books are, I find, is a reminder. It's not a discovery. It's not, um, it's not so much that you're looking for these discoveries that you didn't know the right answer. It's a reminder, at least to me, of you know the answer your gut is telling you the answer and maybe you need to hear it for the fifth time in a different way by a different author or a different mentor or a different person for it to get through your thick skull right and i and that's what i need and so that's awesome yeah, so that that's what i use it's kind of a reminder and i find myself revisiting books and then it happens that i'm in the right context where i could actually apply that and then i take action immediately and apply that knowledge that i had but I wasn't using because I needed that reminder and that kick in the kick in the kick in the butt to get going. Yeah, yeah, and um, I think that's really important, and it's something that again we get lost frequently in like the day to day minutia and trying to think big pictures is important. And and you mentioned a few minutes ago um, these people being you know a virtual mentor, and it you know you actually put out a video. I think yesterday that I was watching when you're in your car and you're talking about Warren Buffett being a virtual mentor of yours oh, yeah. and, uh, you know, explaining a, you know, a story, a, a practice that he shared around, um, you know, how to kind of become a person that you want to be. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'd, I'd love to hear your take generally on mentors, be it virtually or in person and, and how you have you leveraged that to, to help you grow. Yeah, it's, uh, I really believe in the idea of mentors and role models. and I think they're equally important. Um, I'd say this is one of the lessons that I wish someone would have taught me early on uh, in life. I didn't learn it until uh, much later, probably in my early 30s. And um, the importance of, of, of mentors and role models. It turns out that if I look back in time, I had a series of mentors that were instrumental to, to my life. Uh, but I didn't know they were mentors at the time. I didn't even know, I wasn't even thinking of the word mentor. I don't think uh, I had even people use that word in the business context at that point. But it turned out that, you know, when I was in my 
probably late teen, you know, like in college age, um, I had the, my first mentor. His name is Sam Lee. And, um, and I worked in a warehouse while I was going to college and he was the owner of this business. And it was the most unlikely scenario, but I learned so much from him. And he was almost like uh, Sam Walton to me, which is the founder of, uh, of, of Walmart. And they had very similarities. Yeah. And Sam Walton later became a virtual mentor of mine. But um, mentors are so important because of what I said earlier, which is, hey, we can learn through pain or we can learn through someone else's experience. It's really difficult. That's easy to say. That's a simple concept. It's really difficult to put into practice because our egos get in the way every day. And we all have egos. Don't fool yourself. You have an yeah. ego. I have an ego. And our egos are fragile. And they don't want to hear the truth often because it's painful. And, uh, and because of that, we make the wrong decisions and we let them get in our way. And then we learn from pain. And what I've learned from working with mentors is, and it's taken some time because sometimes they teach me something that, Many of them have taught me things that it's taken me time to really understand and look back and say, oh, that's what they meant. That's what it meant. They were teaching me this or this is why I have this habit because I learned it in practice, even though they weren't sitting down and saying, David, this is a lesson that you must learn. Uh, here's the lesson. Never make this mistake. They, le they taught me by right. doing, right? And, uh, and so I tell everyone, like, you need to have mentors, whether they're physical mentors, and you need to be changing them all the time, which is a whole nother subject, uh, or virtual mentors. Virtual mentors are great, too. You know, I think when I, when I tell people about mentors, they get stuck and they're like, well, DC, how do I get a mentor? How do I ask a mentor? Uh, how do I get them? Right. To you know, like, we get so stuck and it's like, we just got to do, man. You got to do. You got to take right. action. Like, there's no secret. Right. You know, everyone is yeah, paralyzed. Like, yeah. Everyone's paralyzed. It's like, how do I get a mentor? What email should I send a mentor? Is there a template I should use? What would you ask them? Why are you asking me? Right. Just go go talk to someone. <laughs> like, come on, man. Yeah, You're wasting time. It's, it's funny because, yeah, you would think, and I was actually, you know, maybe a year ago thinking like, man, I, you know, I, I'm starting off my career like I could really use a mentor. And, you know, like what, how do I say an email to someone that's important and say, Hey, you know, I'm, you know, I'm Tom and I want a mentor and would you be willing to mentor me? And it's like the, when in reality I look back, you know, after a year and, you know, there's, you know, probably a good, you know, half dozen people that I can, you know, say have been really uh, key to my growth, both personally and virtually. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, it, we never had the conversation, Hey, will you be my mentor? Yep. It's just, it, trying to spend time with the right people. I think that's really, really, really important. And, you, and you mentioned, it. I think you nailed it. I think that's how, it, sorry to interrupt you, Tom. Uh, but, but I think you nailed it because that's how I found mentors. Mentors have not been, I'm actively seeking for a mentor because guess what? Anyone that you want to be a mentor is way too busy and they don't have time to take applications on being a mentor, right? No matter how promising you are or how smart your mom told you you were, they're not taking applications. So what I've done is exactly what you've done is like, put your head down, do the work, uh, you know, get a little bit better each day, do more each day than is asked of you, which, you know what, nobody ever told me that. Nobody ever told me that one of the secrets that I had uh, that attracted mentors to me was that I had a positive attitude. I was always uh, curious and interested in learning. And I did more work than was asked of me. And no one told me that those were secrets. No one told me that was, uh, that no one told me in school uh, that those things were important. But once you're in the work, in the real world, and you're actually working, and you look around, you will understand how rare those qualities are to have that combination of qualities. And then a mentor or someone who, who can, can help guide you is going to pick up on that and they're going to say, I want to bet on this person, David or Tom or John or whoever or Susie, because they're exceptional. They're not like everyone else just because they're doing those three things. Yeah. And I think, uh, you know, tactically something that, you know, for the listeners that, that I've seen work pretty well is like, if you, if you take what David said in the first 12 minutes about, um, always learning and being obsessed with learning when you read that book or that article or listen to that podcast you you know what's the one takeaway you got yep it's easy to find their contact info email them and say hey you know jocko willink i read your book extreme ownership love the concept of getting up early getting after it like it was a great read 
and that's it. And that's it. With and then no maybe ask, if you build that no up ask. over time, right. And if you build that up over time and say, Hey, you know, since I read your book a month ago, I've been getting up at 4:45 every day. It's been helpful, whatever. Again, no ask. And you keep kind of building that up. And then at some point maybe you know, the best case is he gets back to you and maybe something happens, but at the worst case, he's a virtual mentor that has actually helped you in your life. I love that advice. And it's, you're taking action, you're showing initiative and guess what? Uh, people will think that's way too easy. It doesn't make any sense. They want some secret formula, but no one does that. No one does exactly what you said, which is, uh, reach out to someone with no ask and say, Hey, thank you. Thank you for putting out that book. That book has had an impact on my life. That's all I have to say. I just want to say thank you. Like nobody does that, right? And um, as simple as it is, and as common sense as that is, common sense ain't common. Uh, and so that's a that's a misnomer. <laughs> nobody has common sense, including me. And so uh, it's definitely not common. Now here's a clip with Mario Armstrong. All right. Mario Armstrong, welcome to the show. Good morning. Hey, Don. Thanks for having me on, man. Really appreciate it. Yeah. No, I'm pumped to do this. Um, no better way to start a Friday morning than uh, than on the podcast. So I want to get on into it. It's been a big week for you. And for people that aren't aware, uh, you know, Mario is coming fresh off an Emmy win last weekend. And in your speech, I, I watched your speech uh, yesterday, and in it you say, you say, don't let anyone hold the destiny of your dreams. And I'd love for you to just talk a little bit about, you know, what that quote in particular means and then, you know, what that whole that whole night was like. Yeah, it's an insane time when basically for anybody that's listening, it's that moment where you've worked complete. You worked your face off to get to a particular vision. It took you years to get there. And when you get there, the moment feels surreal. But at the same time you kind of got like this bravado about you like, yeah, I told you this was going to happen. Yeah, I told you this was my dream. But you had all these naysayers and dream killers and people that didn't understand your vision or didn't think that you had the money or the resources or the time or the intelligence or the degree or 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 just the all-out persistence that was going to be necessary. And so you had a lot of people that maybe didn't even intentionally dream kill on you, but just by saying, oh, that sounds tough or wow, that seems really difficult for you. Or that's not something that you've been doing before. Why do you think you can make it in that now? Like even these little subtle things from family and friends become like these dream killing statements that can really like set you back. And so for me, when I was really, once we hit that moment of first off being nominated for the Emmys, to put things in perspective, 10 years ago, it was flat broke. My wife and I, um, I was laid off from my day job. My wife, um, was basically the breadwinner of the household. We had our son, Christopher, who was about five at the time. And um, we were just trying to make ends meet. I had gotten laid off and had always been on a side hustle of building a presence, building a brand in media, using what I learned in technology. I went to school for tech and communications and worked in technology fields, did some web development, network administration, user support, help desk, like all that IT stuff. But then I saw like there was this big gap Mm -hmm. between IT and being able to communicate what IT does to the everyday person. So this goes back several years. And then that's where I found this niche of blending two industries together to go after this path of saying, hey, I want to talk about how you can produce, how you can be more productive in your life by using technology or how it could be more entertaining or how it could connect you to family better or make better opportunities for you. So it all started then, but we were flat broke and I had convinced her to leave her job to come and run this comp- this idea of a company because we had a major contract with a with AOL at the time. We had shot some video blogging for them and they loved it and we were about to we we had signed in fact a $186,000 deal that we were going to do with them for like a year uh, worth of episodes. And on our way to Dulles, Virginia, we were driving from Baltimore on I-95. We're in the car. We're pumped because we're going to a signing party. Any deal that they did back then, over 150000 they would do these signing parties. And so we are on the way, and we get a phone call from our connection. He's like, uh, David's like, um, I got some really, really bad news. And I was like, what? What's going on? You need to reschedule? And he's like, it's worse. He's like, we just got a new CEO and they put a freeze on all contracts, like nothing can get done. And he's like, I know you guys are on your way here right now. He's like, we got champagne bottles on the table. 
And he, and we're like, this can't be happening. I put him on speakerphone because I'm like confused and my wife's in the car. So I'm like, she's got to hear this. You can't just hear it from me. I'm like, David, you got to say that all over again. And it just hit us like a ton of bricks. So we pulled over on the side of the road and we just got our jaws just wide open. We're like, I'm out of a job. I told her to leave hers. We had six months of savings. We had 401k, but we got a five-year-old kid. And so we go to work. We're like, all right, you know, it's tough for like the, that week. We were just like in a daze. And then we were like, okay, you never put all your eggs in one basket. Keep moving. Like we're entrepreneurs. Let's do this. We can make this happen. And then literally three months, <laughs> that was 2000, that was 2007 into 2008. And literally three months after we made that decision, president Obama comes on and says, we're in a recession. So now no one's hiring. No one's trying to do anything. So we had no other option but to run through our 401k, lose a car, um, run, in, run credit card debt up to the tilt, like doing everything to kind of just stay afloat, man. And it was, um, it was the most challenging so what do you- time in our lives. Like it tested our marriage. Like it's not just me. It's both of our incomes tied up in this thing now. And both of our survival is tied up in this thing now. And, um, you know, it tested our marriage and all of that. So I say all that to just try to kind of paint this picture. I'm sorry, kind of like deviating a little bit from your direct question, but I wanted to give some context as to why I said that moment at the award ceremony going up against the NBCs, the CBSs, the ABCs of the world and having over uh, 3000 submissions and only having 500 nominations and our little engine that could, our little show getting two nominations. We do our show on Facebook. And the reason why we do it on Facebook is because every network clown that didn't see the vision, sorry, every, every network human being that just did not see the vision, <laughs> um, you know, passed on us. And so what I was really up there saying was, don't let anyone hold the destiny to your dreams because it's your damn dream. They don't get to give you the go. They don't get to get the power to give you the yes. They don't get to give you the power to give you the no. So you have to decide, do you really need to be validated by someone else or do you really need to have access from a gatekeeper or can you use that same energy and time that you're doing to try to convince someone of your vision to just go out and do the damn thing? And that's what we decided to do. And we went, after we cleaned up the debt from 2008 to, to 11, we were in debt for three years. After we cleaned that up and started making smaller moves, and we can talk about that on the personal branding side, but how we started making smaller moves and we got to where we were at that moment, we went back into debt again to prove the show by doing six episodes of a first season just so we could say, we know what we're talking about. We really believe in this. We're going to do it ourselves. And once we did that, it changed everything. So that's why I said, you know, don't let someone else hold the, the, the dreams, you know, of your destiny, uh, the destiny of your dreams, uh, because they don't have the right to. You know, a lot of people didn't. One other point on this is a lot of times people say no to things, but are they even qualified to give you a no? No, a lot like, of times they're probably telling you no because you know they've quit on what their dream was or their dream didn't work out, so they want to put you down, probably. Exactly, exactly, exactly. So you, or 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 they're not even qualified. If they were to give you the yes, like, are they really the key decision maker? Probably not. Like, are you really talking to the key decision maker? So just be careful of like who you're who you're asking permission from who you're looking to guidance from and making sure that if they were to say a yes, that this is a big deal. Otherwise, if it's not really a big deal, then you got to watch where you're getting your notes from because they could be too low down the totem pole. So, man, I I have so many questions. I'm trying to, to figure out the, the order in which to ask them. So I want to put a I want to put a pin in the Emmys night. I have, I have a few more questions about that, but I want to take it back since you were talking about 2007, 2008. And I want to go back into that moment and throughout the journey, and it seems like you know clearly one of the the key traits that got you to where you are today is persistence and being able to you know really ignore you know the people that are telling you no. But I guess my question for you is twofold. You know, one, how did you and your wife like get over such a, a dramatic loss on the AOL deal, and you're in such your backs up against the wall and like, how did you put that together tactically? Like, were you guys talking about it a lot? Were you 
like meditating? Were you reading? Were you just taking massive action? Um, and then, you know, the second question I have would be like, you know, once you get into this, this deal and you have the great idea of the never settle show and you know, it's a great idea. She knows it's a great idea, but everyone is telling you no. And not like you're not like the random guy on the street, like the producers at NBC, for example, are telling you that's a bad idea. Like, how do you still believe right. and just know in your gut that's a good idea and you're going to keep going forward and you're going to put it on Facebook? Yeah, these are two great, great questions. Um, I'd say on the first one, on the tactics, we tactically, what you have to do is you have to get clarity on your vision immediately. You have to really, before you get disappointments, you need to have this clarity anyway. But if you get a, d- a disappointment, and, and you don't have that clarity, it can send you down a deep negative spiral. So the very first thing that we decided to commit to each other is if one person is down, the other one has to be up. Even if you're not, you just have to be. Like both of you can't be down in, in the dumps at the same damn time. So that was one thing that we committed to. So if you have a business partner or if you have a support system or someone that you trust, if you're solo and you just have someone that you trust, make sure that they understand their role, that if you're down, they need to be up for you and vice versa. So that was number one, um, because that started really kind of creating the intestinal strength that it's not all doom and gloom. The second thing was reassessing quickly, but with your vision of what it is you're ultimately trying to accomplish and then reverse engineer that. In other words, stop looking at the goal that's so far out now what you have to do, and really what you should be doing anyway to have proper goal setting, is to reverse engineer it from where, where you want to end up to what you need to be doing on an hourly basis to get there. So what we did is we looked at where we wanted to be in the next 12 months, and then we backtracked every single month what did we need to do to get to that 12th month. And then in each month, what do we have to do in those four weeks? And then each week, and then in each week, it's like, what do we have to get done that week? Uh, to move to the next, to move to the next week. So, and then it was like, what do we need to get done this day in order for these next four or five days to really accomplish the week's goal? So you had these daily goals that lead that led up to your weekly goals, your monthly goals, your um, quarterly goals, and then your annual goal. And did so you write that, those down? Yeah, yeah, we had some diligence there. We really did have not not as um, you know, I don't want to make it sound like oh yeah, we were so organized and so planned. Like it was chaotic. So what you were still trying to do is find some normalcy and create some um, some calm and really reassess your focus. So we weren't experts at this, but we took our best shot at saying, all right, what are the small steps we need to take? Because overwhelmingly, you're feeling like this is just too much and it's going to make you cave or give in or give up. And so we figured out somehow, luckily, that if we really bite very, very small, but do it consistently to the best of our ability, that these small wins will add up to larger momentum that will get us to bigger wins later, even as we're dealing with ups and downs of paying creditors, paying debt. I'm taking, I'm taking coins. I don't know if you know those Coinstar machines. I'm taking coins to like the Coinstar machine to get gas money. So I can make it to an appointment to try to get 500 bucks here or do a speaking thing there. Like it was like her mom was buying us groceries, dude. Like, like this is but like you at some shit. point when that was happening, weren't you just like telling yourself or telling her one or the other, like shit, man, like I just got to get it. I got to go get a job. Like I got to go just get something that's going to pay me. I know my paycheck's coming twice a month. Like did that ever cross your mind or did you ever like think about that? You know what, man? never once Whew. never once and maybe it blinked in there i'll tell you i had this one time when i i left the house it was 12 noon i said i'm going to starbucks and um it was a rough day i was going to starbucks and um she didn't know i rolled out i go to starbucks i didn't even have money for a fucking cup of coffee she knew i didn't have the money but she, but i was just going to starbucks like i was just going to be around people and around a vibe i never got out of the car she doesn't she didn't know that I stayed in the car, man, and just straight up cried. Like I was just bawling, like literally just, just giving it all out. And, and everything was just flushing. 
I was thinking like, damn, dude, you're a failure. You got your wife involved in this? And now the whole household income is involved in this? You got a freaking five, six-year-old kid, seven-year-old kid now? Like, what, what are you doing? Like, what's his role model going to be? Like, didn't you learn from this already when your dad went bankrupt trying to pursue his dream and then bounce back? Like, all this stuff is just coming at me. Dude, you didn't graduate from college. You don't have a degree. Like, who do you think you are? Like, at that moment, that was probably the only moment where I was like, maybe I should try to go and get a job. And then the, anytime that would ever pop up, and it was so far and few between. Like, I can only really remember maybe that one time. It was immediately shut down. Like, some other voice would just come out of nowhere, just like, just like I don't know, old school Randy Savage, and just come out of nowhere and just, like, just, 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 just hit the turnbuckle on you, man, and just <laughs> headbutt you one good time. Like, wow. what are you talking about? Get back in the game, son. And I would just clean it up and try to figure out how to save face and keep it moving. That's awesome. Now here's a clip with J.T. McCormick. You have one of the craziest backstories that we have ever come across. Um, and you wrote about it in your book this year called I Got There. And we'd love to start there for to have you talk about really just what your journey's been like. Wow, man, that's an open question. So <laughs> Truth be told, that that book was written 100% for my children. I, I never intended for that book to go public. I, I've got no legacy. My father was a, a black pimp and drug dealer in the 1970s. My mother is, is a white woman. She was an uh, orphan, and she was raised in an orphanage back in the 1950s, an institutional uh, orphanage. So I, I'm half white, half black in the 70s. Uh, back then, that was not a cool thing to, to be. Black people didn't like you because you were half white. White people didn't like you because you were half black. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, I, I'll i give you the short version. I've been everything from sexually molested by my dad's prostitutes to in and out of juvenile three different times. I grew up on welfare. I've been homeless on a bus stop. So, you know, and then from there, I don't have a college degree. I did not graduate high school. I had to go to summer school to, to get my high school diploma. And I've been a president of a software company. And now I'm the president and CEO of a publishing company. So there's the short version. If, if the story ended there, it would still be an incredible uh, path, but but it but it didn't obviously, and and you're not still there. So you've been able to work yourself back up again. And my understanding is that, um, you know, you went over to a company called Headspring uh, around 2011. You were the lowest paid employee, and within two years, you were the president of the company. <laughs> so I, how did that happen? That is really all I can ask. You know it's I, I appreciate that. And let me say this first. One, I was surrounded by incredibly smart uh, software engineers. So that that really helped. But I was the lowest paid sales guy. And we used to make our sales calls uh, uh, on fold out metal chairs in a storage closet. And so when I started there, I was employee number 13. And we were 13 people, lowest paid, and we just grew from there. I learned how to sell uh, software, had never sold software before. So I taught myself, as I've done with everything, okay, how do I sell software? And, and what am I, how am I going to do this? And so we grew the company mm -hmm. from 13 people to well over 100 people. We ended up with offices in Austin, Houston, Dallas, and Monterey, Mexico. And you know, it, it was a phenomenal opportunity and I, I made the most of it. But to, to your point, everyone celebrates or wants to know, wow, JT, how did you go from lowest paid person to, to president? And it's celebrated, but no one wants to talk about the details. So I'm going to throw the details out to you. Um, 18 hour days, a, an immense hustle and grind. Um, I'll, I'll share this with you. In the five years I was with that company, I took 11 days vacation. 
you know, we live in a society where people take 11 days vacation in, in the first quarter of the year. I took 11 days vacation mm-hmm. in five years. And there, there is a picture of me uh, with my firstborn. There's a picture of me in the delivery room. And if you look behind me, my laptop is, is open. I'm in the delivery room with my wife, firstborn uh, coming. And there's a picture of my laptop open. So I always tell people, sacrifice. That's, that's how I, I did it. You, there's three things, sleep, sacrifice, and success. You, you, there, whatever greatness you aspire for, there's going to be some sacrifice. And so many people, it's, it's comical to me, we celebrate, celebrate the term binge watching. Oh, what'd you do this weekend? I watched Game of Thrones, episode one through 38. Yeah. And, and so one thing that is really sticking out to me is, is, you know, clearly through your journey, you've grown a lot, but it's not from formal education. So I know we talked about, you know, your uncle Bobby, but along the way, you know, what has the process of uh, mentorship been like, or are you learning through others' actions or from books or how has that, you know, gone through your career? And then how does, how do how are you learning today, these new skills? Everything is, for me, mass consumption of, of learning. The, the internet has been the greatest. I, I, I can tell you, for me, I have benefited greatly from the, the invent uh, of the internet. Anything and everything you want to learn is, is there. So I study leadership. My, my day consists of every morning I get up between 3.45 a.m. and 4 a.m. And people will ask my God, how, how do you get up so early? I'm not a morning person. Well, you're right. Cause you just said you're not a morning person. So, but for me, hold up, hold up, hold up, hold up, JT, hold up, JT. I love what you just said there. It's like what you tell yourself is the truth, right? So if you say you're not a morning person, or if you say you're not good at sales, you're not, but if you tell yourself you are, that's the beginning of change, right? Totally. If you say, oh my God, I'm not a morning person. Well, yeah, you're, you're right. You're, you're not because you just said said you're not. And and I want to be clear as well. People will say all the time, damn, how do you get up at 4 a.m.? I'm human. Don't get me wrong. There are days where that alarm clock goes off and, and I don't want to get out of bed. But here's the mindset. Here's the choice. I think to myself, wow, there's someone in a hospital bed somewhere right now with cancer who's never going to leave that hospital bed. And all I get to do is get out of bed, go hustle and grind, make the most of my day. I, I, I live in a beautiful home, beautiful family. Everyone's healthy. I get to, I'm allowed to get out of bed and go make the most of my day. And that's how I, I jumped out of bed because I realized Someone would be happy just to get out of bed and walk to the restroom, and they'll never be able to do that. And all I have, all I get to do, get to do. That's very critical. I get to get up and make the most of my day. That's. <laughs> it's really funny that you say that because um, Ryan and I actually just ran a marathon uh, a couple a couple weeks ago, and you know we would get up and, and we're, we're early risers ourselves usually between you know four and five. And one thing that when we didn't want to train is like, no, you don't have to run or you don't have to work or have to do this podcast. We get to. We're very fortunate. And um, that thought of gratitude and perspective, I think, has been uh, something that every single person that we talk to has pointed to that that's a major key for their success. Totally. Totally. Life, life is full of choices. You get to choose exactly what you want to do. And, and guess what? Some of those choices are hard. They're going to take effort. They're going to take sacrifice. And, and that's a word so many people run from is sacrifice. You just have to figure out what area of your life you're going to make sacrifices in. In, in our household, I actually, uh, our direct TV subscription, I love college football. I love the NFL. But I took off of our subscription, I took off ESPN because I don't want to put any of my focus on sports. I want to focus on my family. I want to focus on growing the business. I want to focus on investments, learning leadership. Um, so it's it's just comes down to what are the choices you make in life. And it, and it compounds over time, certainly. Now, let's get back to your daily routine where for some reason we love 
learning about daily routines were weird like that, JT. But uh, so you, you get up at your 345-4. Talk us through your step-by-step. What happens yeah, then? 345-4, I, I go and I sit for a, a bit, 15, 20 minutes. And, you know, some people say meditation. I pray. And then from there, I study my craft. I study leadership. I study women CEOs. I, I find them to be the most fascinating because there's so few of them. And in many ways, their journey has been harder to get to the top. And they've had to operate in many ways uh, through perfection in their decisions and what they say. So I love to study women CEOs and women in leadership. And so I study my craft for about an hour, hour and a half if I'm on a roll. Then I head to the gym for an hour, hour and a half. I come home, help my wife get the, the children ready and eat. We've got an eight-month-old, a two-and-a-half-year-old, and a, a, a four-year-old, so it's chaos totally in the house. Uh, we get them ready. They get off. I head to the office. Uh, I get to work with our incredible tribe, do that, grind it out to about 5, 5.30, head home, get home at 6. We eat dinner, hang out, read books. I've started this new thing now. I shut my laptop off and I shut my phone off from the hours of six to eight so I can be 100% present with, with my children and my family. And I'm getting better at that. It's been a hard thing, but again, it's a choice. So spend time with the family from six to eight, put the kids in bed. We do bath, blah, blah, blah. Sit down with my wife for a little bit. I may get a little more hustle grind in for uh, you know 30 minutes and I'm, I'm back in bed at about 10, 10 p.m. And that's a that's a day's work. That's a that's a ton you're getting done. I want to go back to uh, just two things though. Uh, first thing is you said you you learn your craft. How do you learn? Are you reading blog articles? Are you reading books? Are you like how can like walk us through that hour of learning um, to hone your skill? What does that what does that look like? Like what you do uh, today or so, yesterday? So what what did I do? I've I've read about yeah a lot of reading, a lot of blog posts, uh, magazines. HBR. I, I listen to, to Audible and I listen to it at one and a half so so I can squeeze more in. You know, for, for me, I'm a very slow reader. So Audible has been just phenomenal for me. If I hear it, I retain it. There's sometimes when I'm reading, especially a book. And if it's a longer book, man, I catch myself reading pages three and four times trying to uh, retain what, what I just read. But if you give me a nice article or a blog post, I can retain that faster. So yeah, it's anything and everything I can get my hand on. I love a good uh, documentary uh, about you know a, a business, why it succeeded, why it hasn't. Truth be told, I've learned far more from businesses that have made bad decisions than I've ever learned from someone's successes. What I mean by that is success, in my opinion, is pretty easy. You just R and D it, rip off and duplicate, and so in but. Failure is where I've learned so much. Why did JCPenney make the decisions they've made? Why did uh, Blockbuster not pay the $50 million to buy Netflix? So I love studying. And, and so you, you bear with me. Here's one that I really love. Why the hell did it take McDonald's so damn long to start serving breakfast all day? You know, this, so I love it. <laughs> <laughs> Man, was it 10.30 back in the I day? Mean, it stopped at 10.30? New CEO comes in, uh, Easterbrook. He comes in. He says, okay, we're going to serve breakfast all day. And damn, he's a genius now. And the stock goes from $92 up to $126 off of that decision. I'm going, come on. That was so third grade decision making. And But 